Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Vartha Weekly. Thank you so much uh, uh, for joining us on this very beautiful Sunday morning. Hi Ashish, hi Vatsa, how are you guys doing? Hello, good, good very well. So we have tons of uh, uh, content, uh, you know, to discuss uh, in this weekly, and I guess uh, we can get started with a brief uh, overview of what uh, we put out last week. Uh, we put out a couple of very interesting, eclectic sort of uh, episodes. Uh, uh, one covering the life of uh, uh, Sri Manohar Parikar. Uh, Ashish, uh, what was the experience like uh, uh, talking to uh, Mr. Nitin Gokhale? Yeah, so Nitin has written a book on the life and the work of uh, Mr. Manohar Parikar, who was India's uh, probably the most impactful defense minister we ever had, but who had a very short term, just about two and a half years. The book was released in December on his birth anniversary, but uh, well, it was launched then, but it came out on uh, on the market only in March, uh, coinciding with his second death anniversary. So the book is very much available uh, on all the online platforms. It is actually a collection of Nitin's personal experiences. So he worked with Mr. Parikar very closely while he was in Delhi. And uh, it, it is quite personal in the sense that he has interviewed a lot of his family members, old associates, office colleagues, and so on. And uh, gives a very important glimpse in the, the, the various decisions. And just to kind of recap quickly, uh, one rank, one pension, the Tejas adoption by IF, the Rafael deal, which we signed up, the appointment of chief of defense staff, uh, the indigenization of manufacturing in India. You know, practically humongous decisions were taken during Mr. Parikar's tenure. And uh, he covers each of them uh, in a separate chapter. Uh, not to forget the URI surgical strike as well, right? So uh, a lot of that is covered uh, as a story, uh, along with Nathan's own very personal touch to the, to the story. So interesting book and interesting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, uh, the regard that uh, Mr. Gokhale has for Manohar Parikarji is very heartfelt and that comes across in the uh, uh, discussion uh, more so, right? Uh, Vatsa, what do you think about the uh, the Railway Wala episode? I mean, very eclectic content, right? Yeah, I mean, very different kind of episode compared to what we do normally. And uh, I mean, the thing is, it's what uh, 168 years now since the first uh, train ran in India. So there's definitely a lot of history associated with Indian railways. And they've done a pretty good job, I would say, considering, you know, the constraints that they face uh, with you know, subsidizing passenger traffic and so on with maintaining the heritage part of railways with the museums, uh, some of the toy trains and so on, all of which are not probably profitable. I mean, it's if you look at more developed countries, uh, these the heritage part actually probably generates revenue, which you know helps running the railways in India. It's a little different, and I think she spoke about that as well. And all the things they're trying to do to change it and you know bring the history of railways closer to uh, the common man. So I, I kind of liked the episode. Uh, it was short, but but quite uh, insightful. Yeah, absolutely. I think while the focus remains on making trains and transport uh, cheaper, more accessible, uh, of course, right, and faster, of course, uh, but, uh, you know, the social and cultural significance as well is uh, immense, uh, especially with the Indian railways. All right, uh, let's move on to the first piece of news. Um, Citibank is exiting the Indian consumer banking market. Uh, the global CEO, Jane Fraser, announced the move at the bank's first quarter earnings call. The bank will seize consumer banking in 13 countries, including India. 
Citibank serves uh, 2.9 million retail customers in India with over 2.2 million credit card accounts. The business will reportedly continue as usual until the bank finds a buyer. The bank will first seek regulatory approvals from the RBI to start the exit process through the sale of business. Citibank has been operating in India uh, since 1902 when it first opened its branch uh, in Kolkata. Srivatsa, uh, this uh, isn't the first bank to close operations in India, uh, right? Uh, your thoughts? So, uh, it's an interesting one, right, Carrie? Uh, because uh, I think Citibank has a favorable structure when it comes to India. They run a branch, so access to capital and all that is much easier for them. They can directly borrow from the parent. Uh, whereas if a new bank were to set up, they would have to sort of finance locally, comply more to local regulations and so on. So it's kind of interesting that they are looking to exit India despite uh, having some of these advantages. Uh, in the global context, City India is not that big. I mean, it's just a little over one and a half percent of the global book. So, uh, you know, I, do, I don't think the CEO would even be looking at the business once a quarter. Uh, honestly speaking, it's, it's not significant in the global sense. Uh, I think, see, whenever there are these major uh, financial sort of events, these kind of things happen. So we saw that even in 2008, uh, when the crisis hit, quite a few banks left India. So Deutsche Bank uh, left India, its credit card business ended up with uh, Indusind. Uh, ABN AMRO left India, uh, it ended up selling its uh, India business to RBS which in turn sold it off, I think, in 2015. So some of this is uh, definitely sort of consolidation where the bank is looking to focus on, you know, what its core businesses are, right? Uh, and I think another aspect uh, when it comes to retail is uh, it's a lot more competitive uh, in India. And foreign banks face a lot of constraints. So foreign banks in India, for instance, are not allowed to open more than 12 branches in a year. Uh, although RBI usually sort of, uh, I mean, is a, is a little more relaxed when it comes to the number. It allows banks to open a few more, which is probably what an ICICI, you know, opens in Pune in a year, right? Maybe more actually. Uh, so city's business in India is pretty interesting in the sense that uh, they were one of the pioneers when it came to credit cards. So I think there'll be a lot of uh, interest in that business. And also DBS, uh, which acquired Lakshmi Vilas Bank, uh, something we covered in one of the weeklies and one of the podcasts as well. Uh, DBS might actually be interested in the uh, retail business because it gives them uh, kind of a foothold in some cities where uh, they're not present. Uh, some of the bigger cities with uh, you know probably more uh, affluent customers. Uh, so if I look at it, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of natural. There is more and more consolidation happening in the Indian banking industry as well. You know, public sector banks are being merged. We are uh, moving to fewer, bigger banks, which are kind of more geographically well-spread with a few regional banks. That seems to be the general direction in which we are headed. And that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, although I think at some point in the future, city might actually, you know, regret this and look to come back. And I don't think that's very far in the future. That that's how I see it. I, I do think they will look to come back in India, 
because uh, you know we've done a long india series where we are talking about the 20s being india's decade that automatically means that we'll have more affluent customers and so on so at that point i think at some point i think in the near future we will look you know for city to try to come back into the indian market Uh, just, few, to, just to add, uh, both Vatsai and I are city alums actually in some ways. <laughs> I, I was just going <laughs> to... Oh, yes. Indirectly, let's say. <laughs> yes, actually. Uh, we, yeah. we worked on the, the, the technology which some of uh, the customers in the chat are probably worried about were done by both Vatsai and me at some point. <laughs> <of time. laughs> even uh, yeah, even Dimish who's going to be on the next podcast, yeah, he's a city right. alum. So. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. I mean, uh, we see a few customers uh, in the chat, right? Yeah. Uh, Uh, all right uh, moving on uh, the us has blocked the export of uh, raw materials for the vaccine uh, but the trips waiver uh, might actually encourage the vaccine flow uh, 10 us senators have urged uh, us president joe biden to support india's proposal to temporarily lift intellectual property barriers and allow countries to locally manufacture covid-19 diagnostics and vaccines This waiver is vital to ensuring a sufficient volume of equitable access uh, to COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, the TRIPS waiver is also essential to ensure all global economies can recover from the pandemic. Serum Institute of India Chief Executive Mr. Adar Poonawala on Friday urged US President Joe Biden to lift the export ban on critical raw materials required for the production of vaccines. Ashish. Uh, there's plenty of debate plenty of discussion happening on this whole vaccine situation i guess you know we will cover this uh, in a future episode uh, but you know can you just make sense of uh, what's happening right now yeah so multiple issues here right so the first one is that this debate which is currently we are looking at from the raw material perspective is more relevant to covaxin and not for covishield at all uh, covaxin uses uh, 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 like one one component called uh, uh, adjuvant which is which they source from a cancer based form virovax this deal was signed in october and had the us indicated at that time that there could be a export restriction uh, coming in through like the wartime act which they have now used uh, probably bharat biotech would have sourced it alternatively now the challenge is because they are used that component uh they are stuck with that uh the, that formulation and uh, they are unable to expand with the biden administration not relaxing the export uh, controls so this is a immediate issue for bharat biotech uh when we say that i mean just yesterday uh, there has been a announcement actually a day before in the night there was an announcement of this this uh uh you know the 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 bharat biotech capacity being expanded both in bangalore in its own plant and then three other public sector units uh, to 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 make the vaccine that uh, process may be relatively slower until some of these issues are resolved at least the supply issues resolved uh, if not uh, specifically for bharat biotech if not a global waiver which which us puts in so that is one part the second part is on the tweet which mr punawala put out uh, requesting the the us president to not uh, you know not not hold on to exports the challenge there is not for covishield but for covavax which is the indian name for novavax which uh, mr punawala is producing so that is a very different problem we don't have that vaccine approved at all right now uh, in fact the trial itself has not happened because the production has not started in india uh, so i i don't know uh, like uh, what is the timeline for that now looks like potentially post i mean maybe q4 this year at the at the at the earliest in the current circumstances 
but uh, his uh, just to clarify there is no issue for covid shield at all with with the us policy so so i think that is important to note because there's been a lot of confusion around that in the media and 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 in the reporting the third part is that india along with south africa has made a representation in the wto to suspend temporarily the trade related aspects of intellectual property rights or the trips uh, arrangement right so, so we have asked for a trips waiver for all the vaccine related uh, uh, let's say uh, i mean all the vaccines basically so the idea is that we can uh, reverse engineer uh, more more companies can produce some of these vaccines uh, based based on their uh, understanding of the formulation and so on uh this of course the us is not agreeing for remember that see there's a very unique situation carry that only four countries in the world have been able to do the vaccine so china with its sino sinovac uh, us of course had uh, pfizer moderna jnj uh, novavax us plus germany were involved in the pfizer vaccine so i should say germany being the fourth the, the third country biontech uh, being the being the firm involved with pfizer and of course india did did a vaccine with bharat biotech right so as such the ip situation is not uh, i mean it, it's a very specific situation directed at the at the us china of course i mean sinovac even if china allows uh, the the efficacy of the vaccine has been in question so that's kind of not very relevant so that only leaves us uh, because pfizer has the rights for uh, and of course for uk as well with astrazeneca how can i forget that so it's mainly targeted at those two uh, uh, vaccines so uh, even if us allows uh, this i mean it will take a few months for the companies to scale up but this will be useful for let's say the future spurts of covid i mean if if more companies are producing the vaccines so that is the ask uh, the good thing is that uh, even within us senator sanders and uh, elizabeth warren a lot of them have written a letter to president biden to allow this to happen which is which is a good development um, not sure if the big pharma will 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 relent but uh, yeah i think uh, interesting times because if this happens it will certainly benefit the indian manufacturers pharma manufacturers right uh, so we have more than a couple of questions in uh, uh, chat about the second wave and vaccines uh, right uh, guys we will cover this in further detail on a follow up episode for sure i think there's plenty of uh, uh, nuances to uncover uh, right for now uh, let's move on to the next piece of news uh nirav modi's extradition to india has been cleared by the uk government uh uk home secretary mrs uh, uh, preeti patel uh, signed the order on thursday however modi still has the option of legally challenging this decision within 28 days the jeweler is wanted by indian courts for fraud and money laundering to the tune of 14000 crores in the punjab national bank uh, loan scam he is now facing two sets of uh, criminal proceedings a cbi case against him relating to illegal letters of undertaking and the enforcement directorate case uh, relating to the laundering of proceeds of this fraud earlier nirav modi argued in the london court that he had a family history of depression and suicide and his mental condition had turned severe in the pandemic uh, shrivatsa is this uh, uh, finally a, a win for india in terms of the extradition or you know will we uh, see this getting further delayed what do you think Yeah, I mean, before I get to that, uh, Ashish mentioned he and I are City alums. I think I'm definitely glad that I'm not a PNB alum, considering the <laughs> technology that they have. So let me just uh, actually give sort of a background on you know what actually happened. Uh, so uh, the thing was, uh, so obviously when he scammed PNB, there were uh, employees involved, right? And uh, 
there are two separate kind of systems that run in pnb one is for payments and one is what is called as core banking which is like the accounting system and for some reason uh, these were not linked in pnb uh, in the sense that uh the payments were done separately and then they were reconciled with the accounting system uh, and swift which is the mechanism through which payments happen is a separate system in itself which is why he could kind of run this scam for such a long time uh you know mostly because they had such poor systems and they they couldn't sort of upgrade it and they didn't have operational controls in place to track uh, all of this right uh, so what i mean uh, what they used to is to get as you mentioned something called letters of undertaking which is basically like a bank guarantee uh, using which he would borrow money from uh, subsidiaries of indian banks abroad so i mean so if you look at the entire diamond business uh, there are different countries involved right if you look at the entire supply chain uh, there are countries like botswana and south africa where diamonds are mined and then they come to india uh, where they are kind of polished or or created jewelry and so on and they are sent to antwerp where again there is a big sort of jewelry business that operates so that's pretty much the entire uh, supply chain and in that this is a, actually a very profitable business for banks because they can you know lend money to people who are borrowing the dime who are you know buying the diamonds and then also selling them on so they can pretty much rotate the same cash over short cycles and make money so uh that that's why uh, it's it's a good business for banks to be in but what you know nirav modi did was he used the fact that this was so geographically spread across countries to his advantage and the fact that banks had such disparate systems uh so basically uh, the payments were under reported in the core banking system and the actual payment amount would be something else so they did all of these things uh and he ended up being caught when uh, one particular bank employee insisted for a 100% margin for giving him a letter of undertaking uh, one of his folks a letter of undertaking and they said no but we've been you know getting this for years and we are not giving margin and so on so just i think the fact that they went one step you know too many trying to scam the bank for too long is the reason they ended up getting caught uh nirav mohti uh, is in uk on a investor visa and uh, is i think tried every possible trick in the book to not get extradited right some of which you mentioned he even agreed to a 4 million uh, pound bail bond with severe restrictions on movement even that was denied to him he's still in a jail uh, there were many expert witnesses that he got from india like you know abhay tipse who's a high court judge himself who actually testified on his behalf saying that uh, if nirav modi comes to india he will not be prosecuted uh, and it's no coincidence that you know abhay tipse is a member of the congress party uh, even markande karchu who kind of sermonizes a lot on twitter was another of the expert witnesses who testified on his behalf so he's pretty much tried everything and i think at this stage he's definitely going to come back uh, you know he's going to get extradited uh thanks to you know the the uk courts and also there's be, there must have been some sort of uh, influence of preeti patel uh, who's the home secretary so they they're definitely going to get him extradited uh malya's case is similar the only other reason that uh, malya is not yet extradited is uh, there's apparently a, a prosecution course uh, 
case against him where he is be, he is being prosecuted in UK. So unless that gets dealt with, uh, he is not going to get extradited to India. Uh, I think. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good thing that it's finally happening, and you know the government has also done its bit. Uh, in 2018 they came up with the uh, fugitive economic offenders act which uh, allows them to uh, basically confiscate assets of economic offenders like nirav modi and vijay malya who uh, you know run a scam or don't repay their loans and then uh, flee off to foreign countries um, so the government is doing its bit to tighten the uh, loophole uh, and yeah i think uh, he may appeal again but i don't think the result is going to be significantly different uh, we should see him uh, in a, in uh, in an indian jail soon yeah there's a there's a pretty entertaining documentary called bad boy billionaires on uh, netflix that covers uh, the nirav modi scam it's pretty pretty interesting actually all right uh, moving on Cisco LED has won a market tender to supply 10 million LED bulbs in rural areas. Under the recently launched Gram Ujwala scheme, Cisco will offer the world's cheapest bulbs at 10 rupees each. Uh, the revenue earned from carbon credits will contribute 60 rupees per LED bulb. Under the United Nations Clean Development Mechanism, the scheme will claim carbon credits. Also, under the new scheme, the rural consumers' incandescent and CFL bulbs will be taken up, taken back. according to the energy efficiency services limited india is india is currently the second largest led market in the world by value the ujwala scheme is likely to help avoid peak electricity demand of 9428 megawatts uh, ashish what do you think uh, about this yeah very interesting uh, uh, intervention in the power side i mean uh, see government has been doing this since last 6 7 years which is that it has been act- acting as an aggregator to force economies of scale in a relatively short period of time now if the government started selling started promoting the sales of say led bulbs we may not have reached a stage where the prices would have crashed from 1000 rupees to 100 rupees uh, by by themselves right but because the government said that okay we will make it easier to distribute etc and the eesl which is the public sector entity energy efficiency services limited they took up multiple projects to procure uh, centrally and then distribute that kind of crash the prices right and of course uh, some of some india local manufacturing has also started the the siska uh, win which is a gram ujala not ujwala scheme gram ujala scheme which will also lead to uh, taking the benefits of led bulbs to the villages uh, so now given that they are doing a crore bulbs uh, one of the asks of course is to ma- manufacture this in india uh the the components of led bulbs and the finished product themselves is a big import item from china for us so this tender not just helps in reducing i mean making the energy consumption more efficient and at the village level it also actually spurts the manufacturing of one of the import dependency items locally that's part of the tender actually so this will have to be done in india most of the components and uh the the other other aspect of this is as you mentioned carries that we will uh you know the the since the consumption becomes more efficient we start consuming less electricity uh 9 gigawatts of savings annually in the steady state which is that all after all the one crore bulbs are operational so uh overall uh, a very interesting uh model which is that government becomes an aggregator it allows private player to basically participate in a tender which where which is where it is underwriting the the supply of a commodity or a good and that then gets adopted by people at large 
the same thing at some point i mean it has been tried for electric vehicles also it did not work too well but i think some of these ideas can be extended for for uh, goods which we want to be adopted very very rapidly so the government underwrites the tender uh, gives a guarantee of purchase to the private sector player and then basically distributes it uh, using a public partner public private partnership all right moving on uh, the india meteorological department uh, has predicted normal rainfall across the country this year according to the national weather forecaster the probability of 2021 monsoon being normal was at 40% with a 21% chance of it being above average the imd has adopted a new system to predict the monsoon this year it's known as the multimodal ensemble uh, this method improves the skill of forecasts and reduces forecast errors The forecast of normal rainfall is good news for India's farm sector driving the rural economy. We are likely to see a good acreage of kharif crops and adequate water storage in major water bodies. Srivatsa this is uh, fantastic news. It it is it is uh, I think this is the first time uh, since 98. So 96, 97, 98 was the first time when uh, was the last time I should say when we had 3 uh, years of normal rainfall in a row. and uh, this is the third year in a row that we are seeing normal rainfall so it's uh, it's definitely good news uh, uh, in in that sense uh, you know whether it be agriculture and so on uh, i think one of the things uh, that we should talk about is uh, the investment that has been made in imd um, in in the last few years and how uh, you know the imd has gotten better and more accurate when it comes to forecast right uh, you mentioned the uh, you know the uh, mechanism that they use and so on but they're they're also looking to add uh, for instance 550 uh, unmanned sort of stations through which they can uh, monitor the uh, the weather uh, they're also looking to uh, you know for ways to kind of capture soil moisture and so on so that they can predict landslide better uh, the the imd uh, you know this is kind of gone under the radar uh, this this whole development where their accuracy has gone up from you know around 45% to 70% now uh, and that from a forecasting standpoint uh, is is a pretty good accuracy uh, i mean if if you really understand these things and uh, are not you know looking at netflix etc to understand how modeling etc works uh then i would say that the the performance is is pretty good uh in addition the imd is also tying up with you know the uh, o- uh, national oceans department and uh, niot which is the national institute of oceans technology to understand uh, kind of wind patterns and what's happening in the oceans and using that to improve their forecast uh ultimately to have better forecast you need more data you need longer term data and uh, the imd is is kind of doing a pretty good job uh, you know in increasing the infrastructure from where it's uh, capturing the data uh, and also tying up with other organizations uh, and you know having more accurate forecast obviously helps planning be it, you know agriculture or other industries that are kind of dependent on rain uh, it can right. also probably help you know city planning and so on in terms of understanding how much rain water will get collected and then how how do they kind of have to ration it and so on so yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a good kind of progress that has happened 
since uh, around 2012 with respect to the IMD. All right, moving on. India's drug regulator is considering granting emergency usage approval for foreign vaccines uh, amid a record spike in daily coronavirus uh, infections. The center, the Central Drug Standard Control Organization will take a decision on applications seeking approval for restricted emergency use of foreign-produced vaccines. The central government on Tuesday decided to fast-track emergency approvals for all COVID-19 vaccines that have been given a similar nod by the WHO or regulators in other countries. On Thursday, India registered its biggest ever single-day spike with 200,739 fresh cases. Uh, Ashish, uh, in the midst of the second wave, uh, you know, um, plenty of uh, comments as well in the on YouTube and elsewhere, right? Uh, anything else uh, that you would like to add? The only point here is that while we have approved vaccines approved by other countries to be used on an emergency use basis in India, the the, the thing is it is not going to make much of a difference because those vaccines don't have stocks. In fact, uh, the they are not able to even fulfill their existing orders uh, because JNG has been banned in uh, US. Well, well, not banned, but temporarily suspended in US and uh, uh, Europe is not using AZ in some countries. Uh, they need replacements from Pfizer. Uh, and the challenge is Pfizer is, is now promising the emergency supply to Europe by June. So Indian approval doesn't mean much in the sense that even if they come to India, they will have a very small quantity. The problem carries that a lot of people who have been backing this move. I mean, it's, it's okay to argue that any, anyone vaccinated is a, is a good thing. But, but the challenge here is that this will only vaccinate at the most a few lakh, maybe a crore, couple of crore people, right? So that, that, that doesn't, that is not a national health solution. It can be the solution for the person who talks the loudest on social media or in the media, but it is not a national media, a national health uh, so solution in any way. So while too much time has been disproportionately spent on this, this topic, it's not going to help India's fight against COVID. It will help people who have a voice to talk on, uh, talk about it in, 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 in media, etc. All right, so that uh, brings us to an end uh, uh, for this week's weekly. Uh, as usual, we had plenty of love and support. People continue to call us underrated and whatnot, right? Uh, hopefully not for too long, as I've said before. Uh, and pretty interesting comments on uh, the Manohar Parikar episode as well. Uh, you know, Yogesh Singh saying that he would have been a fantastic PM, uh, right? Uh, so as uh, as earlier, I mean, uh, time to remind you guys that we have a premium subscription on YouTube. So there is the plus and the prime plan that gives you access to various other new content and other AMA sort of things. Uh, in fact, we're considering a policy AMA uh, coming up shortly, right? Uh, we discuss plenty of policies and schemes on uh, Bharat Varta. We do deep dives on uh, uh, industries and sectors. And oftentimes there are very fundamental questions in terms of how the policy is structured, who the priorities, uh, you know, how these priorities are, uh, various priorities are met and uh, so on and so forth, right? Uh, so uh, Ashish and Vatsa will add a little more depth on all those fronts. Uh, Ashish, quick comments on that before we wind up. Yeah, so we will do it in the format of like a presentation slash Q&A, uh, presentation plus Q&A rather. Uh, the idea is to deep dive into how politicians think about creating policy. I think there's a lot of confusion about that aspect. People, yeah. uh, people have very theoretical views of how policies are formulated. The real world constraints are very different and we will try and uncover some of that. Yeah. All right. Sounds uh, super interesting. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of the Bharat Varta Weekly. A couple of uh, very good episodes coming up this week and hope to see you all soon. So until next time, from Ashish, Vatsa and myself, stay safe, take care and Jahid.